for the soup, but we've got soup and pizza and, and salad there, and then we'll finish the next session after the lunch, and then we'll go home for the day and, and uh, have a nap. Amen? Amen. It is a pleasure to have Dr. Matt Queen with us. He's the L.R. Scarborough Chair of Evangelism and Associate Professor of Evangelism and Associate Dean for Doctrinal Programs at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. How would you like to put that on a letterhead, amen? <laughs> uh, but basically, uh, uh, and he's got a lot of other things you see too, but basically, this is a man, uh, I'll just share with you and I won't share this again, I, I hate going to conventions. I really do. And I, I, they, our Southern Baptist of Texas thinks you've got to have a breakout session, and I hate that even worse than the other. If I'm going to go, I at least want to hear some good preaching and singing. Uh, but anyway, God convicted me in Austin uh, because y'all were paying my way to go to the convention. I thought, well, I ought to go to one of these breakout sessions. So I decided I'd just pick one, and I picked Dr. Queen's breakout session. I sat there thinking, dear, have mercy. Boy, how we need this. It blessed my heart. Uh, it blessed my heart. Because I know many of you, you, you have the idea, I'd love to witness, I just... I just can't get over that fear. I'm telling you, God's going to use Dr. Queen this morning to get us over that fear and to, to become a soul-winning uh, church, even more so than what we are. So I'm thankful for him, and uh, let me have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to let him come, and he'll be teaching us, and you pay attention. Father, thank you this morning for the joy to be in your house. Thank you, Lord, just for the opportunity you give us uh, to, to come together as a church and a fellowship. I pray today would be a tremendous day in our lives. God, it'd be a day that we'd look back on from years ahead. We'd look back and say, this was a day that, that God showed me how to be a witness and, and how to get over my fear and how to really lead others to Jesus Christ. God, would you burden our heart for lost family members and lost people that we work with and our family and our friends and those who are our neighbors. Lord, may we be concerned about their soul is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Charles, and thank you so much for being here today. I am so honored to be here, and I just want to say a word. I'll say it now so I don't have to say it uh, in the uh, next service and take away from the worship uh, time, but I just want to say thank you to this church. I've never been here before, but, uh, and you've never seen me before, uh, but you have done something for many, many years that has helped the ministry that I'm a part of, and that's Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. This church gives to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. And in doing so, when you pass the plate, a portion of what your church has, has uh, deemed uh, to go will go and be forwarded on. And because of what you're going to give today, as you do every week, it will be given to help support a missionary force around the world of about 4,500 missionaries all across the world. Church planters in the United States and in Canada. And you're also going to help support preacher boys and others that have been called into different kinds of ministry, music ministry, children's ministry, pastors, etc., etc. You have given so that they can go to school and not be in such debt that they have to work it off before they can ever start ministry. 
So I just want to say to each and every one of you, thank you for what you have done and what you will continue to do to give to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. Thank you. Dr. Patterson has just said to me, he gave me the authority today, Pastor, to tell any of you that were to come on the campus of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, to walk around like you own the place. Because you do. You own the place. You're the ones that uh, hold us in trust. And so walk around like you own the place. Thank you so much for what you do. And uh, uh, just continue to do what you do so that we can try to reach this world for Jesus Christ. Now, we're having Bible study this morning. And so most of what I'm going to be sharing is actually can be brought out of the Bible, but it's not actually the Bible. So I want to start in the Bible, okay? So you all, you all don't get on your pastor for saying, this guy didn't even teach Sunday school from the Bible, because I want to start there. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, if you would please. Take your Bibles and go to Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse number 13 is where we'll begin today. Acts chapter 4. The pastor had said something about being afraid in evangelism. I hope that you'll will, you will be able to stay. We're not going to go long, long, long. We're not going to be there you know, all night or all afternoon. But I do want you to come afterwards because I've got some tips that I think will help you if you genuinely are afraid of evangelizing and want to overcome it. We're going to talk about that this afternoon as well as a, a lot of other things uh, that will help you become a personal soul winner for the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of you, including myself, get afraid when we evangelize. Anybody here can give a witness to that? Anybody here not everybody here afraid to evangelize? Anybody here not? Anybody here not afraid? Okay, that's all of us. I, I did, I did my, all my studies and academic and seminary stuff, learning. I wrote a dissertation about evangelism. And I go out every week and I still get, a, get a, afraid and scared. But I will tell you this, just so you know. The worst and most fearful evangelism experience is always the first one each day. And after the first one each day, it just gets easy. And then you go to sleep and then you get afraid again and then you just get back at it. I want to share with you about how some men who had every reason to be afraid, just like us all, did not give in to the fear and did not say keep their mouths zipped, but they actually told about Jesus Christ and how people could be forgiven of their sins and receive the love of God for them. You see, there's no question that God loves the world. He sent Jesus to die for it. The question is, have you received His love? Because just, he, just because He loves you doesn't mean that you've received His love. You've got, that's a personal decision everyone here has to make and everyone in the world has to make, whether they'll receive it or reject it. But the Bible is talking and there are these... Would be fish, uh, you know, former fishermen would be evangelists. And in verse 13, the Bible says, Now, when they, these are the people that heard them spe him speak, when they saw the boldness, probably another word there in some translations is confidence, the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they marveled. And they realized. That they had been with Jesus. Now I'm going to tell you a lot of different things this afternoon. I'm going to tell you some things this morning. But let me just tell you, if you forget everything, if you don't come for whatever reason, let me tell you, this is the secret to overcoming fear and evangelism. Those who spend time with Jesus can't help but spend time telling others about Jesus. 
Uh, let me just, the Bible says that these guys were bold, but it wasn't because they'd been to seminaries, not because they had a doctorate. It's not because they had perfect attendance at Sunday school. These guys were untrained and uneducated. Some of you say, well, I'm not going to evangelize because I just don't have the training for it. I've not been certified. I, I don't have enough practice. Friends, these guys were untrained. They didn't have the practice. They were uneducated. They didn't have the knowledge. And the Bible says, though they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled because they realized this boldness came because they had been with Jesus. I'm not here to step on any toes, but he who has an ear, let him hear. If we are not spending time with Jesus every day, and I would, it's not in the Bible, but I would tell you, you're missing out if you don't do it in the morning. If we're not spending time with Jesus every day, it's going to be very unlikely to almost impossible that anybody here is going to spend time telling others about Jesus each day. But I'm just going to tell you, if, if, you're, if you say, you know, well, I read the Bible and I pray every morning, but I just don't have that. We need to talk about how you can spend better time with Jesus and the Holy Spirit each day. Because out of the outflow of what Jesus shows me, the Holy Spirit shows me each and every day, I can't wait to tell somebody about the great things they can experience, but only through Jesus Christ. So those who spend time with Jesus can't help but spend time telling others about Jesus. Maybe that's the secret for you. Maybe you're not spending time with Jesus. Or maybe, listen, it happens to us all, it happens to me. Maybe you're just going through your devotions in the morning just to check them off of a list. Well, that's not really good time that you're spending. I mean, I'm glad that you're doing it. It's better not doing it at all. But you, you need to have the right motivation. I want to come into the presence of the Lord each morning. So that's the one truth. The second truth is this. Those whom we tell about Jesus can tell whether we spent time with Jesus. And that's what we see here. Now, now, some of us may evangelize, but it's purely out of obligation. We just have to do it just to check the box off. And sometimes people evangelize, and I've been with people that have evangelized, and they have, they, they, you could tell that they had not spent time with the Lord. They would not had the empowerment, daily empowerment and filling of the Holy Spirit each and every day. Well, people can tell that. And so, for that reason, I'm not telling you, well, if I don't spend time with Jesus and they can tell it, I'm just not going to tell people about Jesus. No, that's not the answer. <laughs> that's the answer the devil wants you to do. But the answer is for you to spend time seeking Jesus each and every day. And I would suggest to you, start in the morning. Anybody here busy? Anybody ever here busy? <laughs> Pastor, I don't know if they're awake. Nobody's raising their hand. They're laughing, but... Let me tell you something. If you don't put it in your schedule and you don't start off with it, everything else will crowd it out. So that's why we want to do that. And in fact, the, the people, some of the officials, the, the council of the day, uh, they were there. And when these men were telling about Jesus, they said, we restrict you from ever speaking in that name again. And look at what it says in verse 19. Peter and John, the same guys who had that boldness by spending time with Jesus, answered and said to them, whether it is right... In the sight of God, to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak of the things we have seen and heard. 
Now, let me tell you something. If any of you are sports fans, now I'm from North Carolina, as the pastor said, and, and I love the North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, probably nobody here does, but, but I love the Tar Heels. When I watched that national championship game Monday night after coming in from preaching a revival service, man, I was high on the spirit, and then I was high on Carolina Blue because they came through there in that last minute, and they came up by five. I was I was talking about it. I was tweeting about it. I was everything else because I was excited about what I'd seen and what I had heard that they had won the championship. Some of us are going to stand before the Lord one day and the Lord's going to say, you may be saved, you're not going to lose your salvation, but in terms of the judgment seat related to your awards, God's going to say, you were excited about this, that, and the other, and everybody knew you for it, but you weren't excited about my son, and nobody knew you for that. Listen, friends, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but you will lose your rewards. And for some of us, the Bible says we'll make it in as so by fire. Through dust and ashes, we'll make it through because of the blood of Jesus. But friends, I don't know about you. I would much rather take a crown to lay at the Savior's feet in heaven than to take dust and ashes of what I had not done for him and lay those at his feet. And so, I just want to encourage you today to spend time with Jesus in order to evangelize. Now, what, how in the world do we evangelize? And what is evangelism? Well, in order for us to talk about what evangelism is, I think it's important for us to first of all talk about what evangelism is not. I'm convinced that most people don't evangelize for about three different reasons. Number one, some people don't evangelize simply because they're... They're out of the fellowship with the Lord. They're, they're backslidden. They're, 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 uh, you know, they're, they're not doing the things of the Lord. Jesus is not completely calling all the shots in their lives. That's, that's one reason Christians don't do it. And the answer for that is to repent. I'm not telling you to rededicate. Listen, we rededicate and that makes us think, well, that, that, you know, that's turning over a new leaf. Friends, the biblical word for that is to repent. We, we repent. So the, the answer to that, if you're here and you're not evangelizing because you're just not walking with the Lord, repent. That's the, that's the solution for you. Some people don't evangelize because they are afraid of what would happen. I've already given you the solution to that. Spend time with Jesus. And you'll want to spend time telling others about Jesus. But then there's a third reason that some people don't evangelize. And I think this is a great majority of those that I see in churches each week. Some people believe that they are evangelizing. They've convinced themselves they are evangelizing, but they're not because they've got a misconception about what evangelism is. So what I want to do is I don't want to make anybody mad here, but I want us to look at what passes today for evangelism and look at why it's not evangelism. Look at some misconceptions of evangelism, and then I want to give you what I believe is a true definition of evangelism. So, uh, first of all, I want you to know that evangelism is not using words when necessary. It's not using words when necessary. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of you may have heard a saying one time, go preach the gospel, use words when necessary. Can you, has anybody ever heard that? If you have, just raise your hand. Okay, good. I'm just making sure that somebody's at least heard that. That's just not me. Okay, whether you've heard it or not, let me just say there's a saying out there. It's got a lot of popularity. Go preach the gospel. Use words when necessary. Some people attribute this statement to a guy by the name of Francis of Assisi. Now, Assisi is not what he is. 
He's not a sissy, okay? A sissy is where he's from, okay? And so, um, some people attribute it to him, but actually there's been books written, studies done. He never said that. Here's the fact of the matter. Some people say, well, I can just live my life, and my life, someone will see me the way I live, and they will come up to me out of the blue. And they'll say, there's something different about you than everybody else. And I don't know what it is, but I want what you want. And without a word, without even a word, you're able to win somebody to the Lord just by the way you live your life. Using words. Now, if words need to become, you use those if necessary, but you just live your life. Now, let me tell you this. The Bible does say in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, Let your light so shine before men that they, seeing your good works, may glorify your Father which is in heaven. But he doesn't say live and shine your light just to win people to the Lord. You ought to do that, by the way. You need to do that. In fact, our message must match our lifestyle. But he says to live that way not so that they get saved. The Bible says live that way so that they give glory to God. Some of you know that. Some of you that are here that are adults, you see some of the young folks that are here. And you're so proud of the way that they're saying no to the things of this world. And you know what you've said? Lord, thank you so much that there's some young people that actually still call on your name and bow the knee to you. That's what Jesus is talking about. So you need to do that. But there's other people that will say, well, I just live my life. Let me tell you something. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it is highly improbable that anyone will just come up to you, a stranger you don't know, and will just say, there's something different about you. I see you in a different light. I mean, if they'd said that, you'd think something was wrong with them for a moment, you know. The fact of the matter is, is when we look in the Bible, words aren't necessary when they happen. Words are always necessary. And in fact, if you're to go out and feed the hungry, that's a noble thing to do, right? How can you feed the hungry if you don't use food? It's the same way you can't preach the gospel unless you use words. And so you must use words. It's more than just using words when necessary. There's, there's another misconception out there about evangelism. It's a, really an excuse more than a misconception. Some people say, well, I don't evangelize because I don't have the gift of what? Evangelism. The gift of evangelism. Please forgive the shameful plug, but I just put out an article this past Tuesday. And if you've got notes and you're interested in this, go to the, go to the blog site, Theological, Theological Matters, all one word, TheologicalMatters.com. And it should be the very first thing when you come up. And I, I've, I've, I'll say more about that in that article, but that'll tell you, and I hope you'll convince you of the fact that actually nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, Old Testament, New Testament. Listen, Pastor, I even looked in the maps, and it's not even the maps. There's no mention in the Bible of a gift of evangelism. Now, there is in Ephesians 4 the gift of the evangelist. He's there with the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But the evangelist is not to do the work for the church of evangelism. The Bible says the evangelist is given to equip the saints for ministry. So a God-called, grace-gifted evangelist is one who equips and encourages a church to evangelize. All the spiritual gifts, by the way, all of the spiritual gifts are given for the church, not for the lost. So if you speak in tongues, there may be lost people there, but you are speaking in tongues. Uh, by the way, I don't, think, I, I don't believe that that's a gift still in existence. If you do, we'll just arm wrestle about it afterwards. But in that time, if people were speaking in tongues, they had to have an interpreter 
so that the church could understand. By the way, and if, there was a, if there's a gift of giving, the gift of giving is not just helping people that are outside the church. We ought to do that. But the gift of giving is for the church, to help those that are in need in the church. So all of the pastor, a pastor is given to a church. A teacher is given to a church. The apostles were for the church. So are evangelists. They're given to help the church. So too, evangelism is not a spiritual gift. Evangelism is a discipline. And because the Bible says nothing about a gift of evangelism, then it would say that you could say, well, you know what, I don't read my Bible because I don't have the gift of reading the Bible. Or I don't pray, pastor, I don't pray because I don't have the gift of prayer. Friends, those things are not gifts in the Bible either. Those things are disciplines and they're commanded just like evangelism is. So if you're here and you say, well, I don't evangelize because I don't have a gift of evangelism, guess what, I don't either. I practice evangelism because it's a discipline that we all ought to have. And nobody else has the gift of evangelism either. So it's not a job just for the professionals, as it were. It's not using words when necessary. It's not uh, done for the professionals only. Also, it's not just merely an event. Merely an event. Now, I do believe in event evangelism. I believe that in a revival... I believe you can have an event called a revival and people will get saved. I believe in vacation Bible school. I believe in that and telling kids about the gospel and giving them an opportunity to respond. So it's not that we can't have events, but here's what happens in a lot of churches, and I've been on staff at some of them. We have a big potluck dinner. Anybody know what a potluck dinner is? Listen. Why are you raising your hands? I can look at you and tell, okay? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We, I like potluck dinners. You can tell right here that I like a potluck dinner. What we as Baptists do is we have a potluck dinner. We invite everybody in the community to come, and they hear that they're... Who, who makes the best chicken and dumplings here? Raise your hand. Who makes it? Right, right back here. What's your name, ma'am? What's your name? They hear about Miss Beverly's chicken and dumplings, and the lost... They never come into the church any other way, but they're going to re-eat her chicken and dumplings. We have that. We say a prayer. We eat. We leave and we say, boy, wasn't that a great thing of evangelism? We have all these lost people here, and we ate, and it was really good. But never once, no one shares the gospel with all those lost people. If you don't tell the gospel, you can't call it evangelism. It may have been good. It may have sat heavy on her stomach, but it wasn't evangelism. So a lot of times we do events without actually sharing the gospel. And so evangelism is not just having an event. An evangelism is an event in which you share the gospel. Some people think, well, you know, look, okay, there's not a gift of evangelism. I know it's a discipline. It's something I've got to do. So evangelism is that thing I'll do when I get the time. Now, a moment ago, many of you indicated that y'all were busy. Let me just tell you something. If you're going to wait to evangelize when you get the time you'll never evangelize because you'll always put something in front of it. I like to say it this way. Those who fail to plan time to evangelize will fail to find time to evangelize. Let me say that again. Those who fail to plan time to evangelize will fail to find time to evangelize. We're already kind of going uphill because... The devil's telling us everything but to evangelize. And so if we don't have it in our schedule sometime, we likely never will. If I was to take out, and I'll take out my phone here. None of y'all can see it. I'm more than willing to show you. But if I was to open my phone and show you my calendar, you would see that every Sunday that I'm 
back at home in Burleson, Texas, every Sunday at 3.30 and every Thursday at 4 p.m., it's on my calendar, evangelism. I schedule it in my schedule because if I don't put it in my schedule, something else will come instead. So I plan it. Now, let me ask you, you may be asking a question, but what about on Tuesdays at 3 o'clock? That's not scheduled in your calendar. What if someone is there, is lost, and says, man, I, I just need some hope. Are you going to say, well, you're not going to evangelize because it's not on your calendar? No. I'm saying this. When I put it on my calendar and evangelize, it makes me more likely all throughout the rest of the week to evangelize. Whether it's once a week, whether it's once a day for you, whether it's once or whatever, you need to put in your calendar a time to evangelize. And don't just put it in your calendar. Don't let it just ring at you whenever the reminder comes up. Find someone else in this church or find a group of people in this church that they'll put it on their calendar at that time and y'all go together to hold one another accountable. So evangelism won't happen if you're just going to wait till you get time to do it, okay? You're going to want to put it in your schedule. There's something else. Some people say, well, evangelism is to go and just tell people, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay, let's sing Kumbaya. Uh, the, the world today, America today, is, is an amazing thing. The world's gotten a lot more flat. When I was growing up, when we wanted to find someone from Burma, for example, or someone from Malaysia, or someone from Thailand, or something like that, we would have to go across the world to get there. But the world's flattened out now, and guess what? There's people from Myanmar. There may be some here today. There's people from Thailand, Malaysia, Asia, Africa, uh, Europe, wherever it is, South America. People have come, and they're right here. We're right here. In other words, the world has come to us in many ways. And with the world coming to us, people and their beliefs come. So there's some people, for example, who will come, let's say from India, and they come with a view that Hinduism is the true religion. In fact, this past week on Tuesday, I was speaking to a man and his wife. And it was so, Pastor, it was so weird. I walked in and there is a big old photo, just like we have big old photos of Jesus, a big old photo of uh, Krishna. This, that's one of the Hindu gods. He kind of looks like a blue smurf, okay? And that's, that's him up there. And, and then on the, on the background of his uh, computer, he had all the other 3.5 million gods that were cycling through. You look up and there's a Buddha statue, which is a whole different kind of religion that's up there on his case. And then he had a big old frame of the Ten Commandments and Gideon Bibles there. He's a hotel, he owns a hotel right there all together, all conglomerated together. Basically what I told this man is, and he said, oh, I believe, the pastor told me there is one God. I believe in the one God. And I said, sir, if you truly believed in the one God right now, you'd take that photo of Krishna and you'd burn it. You'd tear it up. You'd throw it away. That statue of Buddha, you'd break it into pieces. In fact, if you got a picture, if you got a statue of Mary or Jesus, you'd break that in pieces too. Because that, I told him, that there, that Ten Commandments, you see what it says? You shall have no other gods before me. And what's the second one? You'll make no graven images. I said, if you really believe that God, Jesus Christ, was the one true God, you'd break it up right now. He pulled out a big book and he showed me the three point. He said, These are my gods. And I said, sir, if these are your gods, you don't believe in the one true God. Now, I was, I was loving. I wasn't mean-spirited, hell and fire and brimstone. I mean, I did talk about hell with him, but, 
but, but I was trying to tell The fact of the matter is, some people think, well, they grew up here or there or the other, and they grew up in it, and so, you know, they're okay because they're good people. And they're okay. Let me just tell you something. This is not my words, but Jesus' words. Jesus said, John chapter 14, I, Jesus, I am the way. Not a way, the way. I am not a truth, but the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I will tell you this. All roads in religion do lead to God. And what I mean by that is this. No matter who you are, what you believe, you're going to stand before God one day. So all roads, all paths, all religions, they do lead to God. But not all roads, not all paths lead to heaven. Because you've got to go through Jesus to get to heaven. You see what I'm saying? So, so Jesus is the only way. And by the way, Jesus being the way, the way to heaven is not a path on which you trod. It's a person in whom you trust. It's Jesus. Jesus is the only way. But the fact of the matter is, most of us say, well, they grew up in it. Well, let me just say something. I grew up in a Christian home. Both sides of my families, I had pastors. They didn't call them church planners back then. They started church missions. But church planners is what we'd say today pastors on both sides. My dad was a deacon. My mom was a preacher's kid, played piano in the church. I grew up in Christianity and guess what? I wasn't a Christian. Just because you grow up in the church, and maybe some of you are here and you say, well, I grew up in the church, I'm a Christian. Friends, just because you go to church, your parents are, are Christians, just because you're in a me member of a Sunday school class, that doesn't make you a Christian. You know what makes you a Christian? You know what made me a Christian? Even though I grew up, I knew the verses, I knew it all. I had to repent of my sins. I had to put my faith in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And with my mouth, I had to confess him as Lord. So even for me, as a, some people, you know, they, they talk to me and they say, well, you grew up in it. This Hindu man was talking and, and I said, sir, I did grow up in the Christianity, but I'm not a Christian because I grew up in it. I'm a Christian because I chose it. Just like everybody has to choose it. So it's not just telling people that they're okay. It's telling them how they get okay through Jesus. Evangelism, and I hope some of you that maybe think I'm being a little too mean here will understand my heart here. Evangelism is also not shaming others. Shaming others. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want, to, you know, I don't want somebody to think I'm being mean. Friends, if you're going into evangelism being mean, you don't have the love of Christ. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about evangelism that the love of Christ compels us. It constrains us. It makes us do our evangelism. If you're like some of these people that get these signs and they've got all kinds of messages on them about people saying, go to hell, go to hell. Friend, let me tell you something. That's not the message of evangelism. The message of evangelism is there's a way out of hell. And so we don't go shaming others. Listen, if you go and you talk to many lost people, you're going to see there's a lot of lost people that believe a lot differently than you do about a lot of different things about who they can love or not love, about what they can do with their bodies or not do with their bodies, about the way they talk, about the places they go, about the things that they can imbibe. There's all kinds of differences that they're going to have between you and them. But you don't, whenever you see them do something wrong, you don't laugh at them, you don't make fun of them. You, in godly compassion, compelled by Christ. You don't have to manufacture tears, but if it leads you to tears, bless the Lord, use them. But you tell the people, God loves you. I'll just tell you, three weeks ago I was with a, um, 
a church in Easley, South Carolina, preaching a revival. We went to the Applebee's after service that night. A young lady came up to me. She was serving us, and she was doing a really good job. And I just simply looked to her. We'll call her name Laura, okay? I just simply looked at Laura. Let's say her name is. And I said, Laura, has anybody today told you that Jesus loves you? As soon as I told her that, big old crocodile ears came down off of her eyes. And she said, and she, she just did like this. You know, she couldn't even talk. And I said, Laura, who told you that Jesus loves you? And she said, my mama. And I said, have you ever received that love and faith before? She said, uh-huh. I said, when was that? She said, well, I don't remember. I've kind of always been like this. I said, well, let me ask you this question this way. When you get before God one day, because the Bible says we're all going to stand before God, Hebrews chapter 9. When you stand before God, if he were, I don't, I'm not saying that he will, but if he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And she said, because I've been a good person. And I said, Laura, if you could get into heaven by your good works, Jesus would have stayed up in heaven. But your good works, your good will never outweigh your bad. You have to do something else. And what you have to do something else is, you've got to put your faith in Jesus who did nothing wrong. Jesus' is good will always outweigh his bad because he never had any bad. He was God. You've got to put your faith in Jesus. And I began to explain more about the gospel to her. She said, indicated with tears in her eyes, she wanted to receive the Lord. She said, but before I do, I want to show you something. She pulled back her sleeve, Pastor, and there were gashes in her arm. I didn't know what had happened. There on the back, her, 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 her uh, shirt had been torn. And she said, I just left my girlfriend who didn't want to let me go because I knew it was wrong. And I said, when you talk about girlfriend, you talking about your friend or are you talking about your girlfriend? And she said, my girlfriend. And I said, well, listen, let me tell you, if you're going to receive Jesus, part of what you've got to do is repent. And repent is to turn away. And I said, Laura, I'm not trying to be offensive to you in any way. I've not walked in your shoes. But for you, repentance is to turn away from liking women and either being single before the Lord or looking for the man that God has created for you. And I said, I'm not trying to offend you. She goes, you're not offending me. You see, you can talk about these things with people and not shame them to death. And I'm here to tell you that there, right there in the middle of the Applebee's, she prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Amen. Praise the Lord. The glory gets to God. Now, that doesn't mean that I ignored her sin, but with compassion, I confronted her with it, you see? I didn't shame her. I didn't make her feel... If I had done that, listen, I would have been... How could the Spirit of Christ have been in me if I was trying to make fun of her or shaming her to death? I wanted to show her the way of repentance. And you can do that too. So evangelism is not shaming people. I hope some of you will like this one. Evangelism is also not winning at all costs. Some of you don't evangelize because you are afraid someone is going to ask you a question that you witness to that you won't be able to answer. Let me just say, as someone who evangelizes, that will happen. It happens to me all the time. It happens to me all the time. But you've got an out. If someone here in Longview, Texas asks you a question, if you'll evangelize them and you don't know the answer to it, you've got an out. You can say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but my pastor does. And just send them to your pastor because he's got all the answers, okay? That solves it, doesn't it, right? Now, now here, here's the issue. Evangelism is not winning at all costs. A lot of us think about evangelism that we've got to go into an argument, we've got to fight with someone with words to try, to try to win an argument. Friends, let me tell you something. Winning an argument is not what evangelism is. 
We're in it to win souls. Win souls. Now, I know there's some today that don't like that language of winning souls. They say it's old-fashioned, and it shows that you're trying to be the catalyst in evangelism. But you know what the Apostle Paul said? I'm just going to read it. You argue with Paul. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. For though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a servant in all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those that are without the law, as without, though not being without the law to, uh, under God, under, uh, but because I'm under the law towards Christ, that I might win those that are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might what? That I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that I might by some means save some. To the weak, to the Jew, to the one under the law, not under the law, he comes to win. So friends, let me tell you, if you go, and by the way, you don't want to have all the answers. How many of y'all like a know-it-all? I'm not going to ask you the next question if you're married to one, but you'll leave it to that. But some of you'd raise your hands. I don't want to do that. I don't want marriage. This is not marriage counseling. This is evangelism training. And so nobody likes to know it all. So don't go in saying, well, I don't know it all. Friends, none of us will know it all. Only God knows it all. Amen? Even the greatest scientist that believes in creation doesn't know it all. God knows it all. So the fact of the matter is, is there'll be times when you don't know an answer to a question, but God will give you the answer without you even knowing it. There'll be sometimes you say, I don't know the answer, but you can talk to my pastor. There'll be sometimes you say, you know what, I don't know the answer, but let me research and get back to you. So it's not winning or about winning an argument. Just a few others, and then we're going to tell you what evangelism is, and then we're going to break for the worship service. Evangelism is also not sheep stealing. Sheep stealing. Do you know what metaphor in the Bible God uses to refer to people and his people more than anything else? Sheep. Now, let me just tell you. I, uh, excuse me, I am the good what? Yeah. The Lord is my, my what? Hear my voice? All we like have gone astray, each one to his own way, and God has laid upon him the iniquity of his own. We're sheep. Now, I don't know if you know why that is. It's not because we're, you know, wool and white, okay? Uh, it's because sheep are pretty ignorant animals. Now, listen, I don't mean to insult any of you by calling you ignorant. We're all ignorant, okay? Spiritually speaking. In fact, all throughout time, shepherds have tried to keep sheep in safety. But sheep are ignorant. They want to go out on their own because they think nothing's going to hurt them. They think they can do whatever they want without any consequences. Sound like you and me? And so throughout history, they have had fences. Shepherds have. Shepherds have had pens. They've used shot collars. They've used everything to try to keep sheep where they're supposed to be. Fifteen years ago in Yorkshire, England, they thought they finally figured out how to keep sheep in the pen. They created a metal tube-like structure, eight feet long. They called it a sheep guard. Now, you may have never heard of sheep guard, but some of you have heard of cattle guard. Anybody heard of a cattle guard before? Yeah, many, many of you know. It's a metal tube in which the cows, especially put on bridges and, you know, in the farms, when a cow's hoof would go on that uh, metal guard, it would kind of slip off so they couldn't go any further. So they had this eight-foot sheep guard in Yorkshire, England, to keep all the sheep in. And it did for several months until one day an old sheep was looking at it. And here's what the story said in an England uh, paper. That sheep got on its back and rolled over that sheep guard. 
and look back at all the other sheep. Now that's a true story. This next part, I don't know if they were adding to it or not, but they said as he looked back, he looked at his sheep, the grass in their mouth just falling out, and he said one word before he left. Bye. And he left his way. <laughs> now, that's just about like a church member. <laughs> You're going to roll around, you're going to do, if you don't get your way, you want to go to the grass is green on the other side, you're going to go and you're going to say bye and you're going to go and church hop here and there. Let me tell you something, as much as we appreciate in our churches people who come from other congregations, by the way, if you're here today planning on joining, I'm not talking about you, okay, okay? But sometimes we think, well, if I just get my friends who are already Christians to come from that church to this church, I've done evangelism. We rejoice, this church this morning will rejoice for anyone who begins the process of church membership. The pastor can tell you how you can become a member because I don't know, but he does. We rejoice in that. But friends, don't call it evangelism if they're already saved and already a member of the church and you get them to come to your church. Because evangelism is not for the saved. Evangelism is for the lost. Do you understand what I mean? So it's not sheep stealing, okay? Also, related to that. Now... I want you to hear me all the way out before you just make a judgment on me, okay? Evangelism is not simply, it's not merely inviting someone to your church. Now, Lifeway's done a study recently in the last six years, and they said that people, most people, do not go to church because, number one reason, they're not invited. Let me ask you a question. Should you invite people to your church, to this church? Yes. I'm not going to ask if you do. You better, okay? I hope that would be yes. But yes, you should do that. So I'm not saying don't invite people to your church. But here's the problem. If all you do is say, I ask them if they come to church and they said, no, I'm glad, that's over. I've done evangelism. Friends, let me tell you something. Just because they come to church and if they don't come to church, that doesn't mean you've evangelized. You've just given them an invitation to church. Let me tell you, evangelism... Invite them to church, but friends, invite them to Jesus too. Right there on the spot. Evangelism is inviting them into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so, invite them to church. Please, tell everybody you know to come to this church. But don't fail to also tell them how they can come to faith in Jesus. Okay? That's what evangelism is. And then finally, and then I'll, uh, I'll be done. Evangelism is not manipulation. There's a lot of people... Who use a lot of different ways. They use their charisma. Some use smoke, lights, mirrors, and lasers to try to create a mood in order to have people do what they want them to do. Evangelism is not brainwashing. Evangelism is not manipulation. Evangelism is presenting the truth of the gospel to people, calling them to respond, and not trying to twist the reasons why they would come to know the Lord. Friends, let me tell you something. If you're trying to manipulate somebody and force someone into a decision to receive the Lord, you're trying to do what only the Holy Spirit can do. That means you're trying to do what only God can do. And so I just want to encourage you, it's not manipulation. So what is evangelism? And then we're done. What is evangelism? Well, now many of you know I teach at the seminary and you know, how seminary professors are. They're like Baptist preachers, and I'm both. They're long-winded. So this may be a little bit of a long-winded uh, definition, but I want you to hear it just for a moment. It's going to be up on the screen here. I want you to see this now. Evangelism is that spirit-empowered activity 
in which disciples of Jesus Christ give an, uh, an intentional, complete, and verbal witness to the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Calling unbelievers to become His disciples by repenting of their sins, believing in Him alone, and calling on Him with their mouth or, or, or verbalizing that Jesus is Lord with their mouth. Confessing Jesus is Lord. That's what I see evangelism is. Let me just break that down and then we'll be done for this morning. Evangelism is a spirit-empowered activity. If you go and you try to leave here and do evangelism in your own power, you will get your own results. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean I have to, you know, shake with the Spirit? Or does that mean I've got to get anointed? Or what, what? Let me tell you something. When you got saved, if you're here and you're saved, you're forgiven, you're a Christian. When you became a Christian, you got the Holy Spirit. He indwelled you forever. But Paul says daily you need to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is not some extraordinary kind of a thing. It is on God's end. It's supernatural in that sense. But friends, to be filled with the Spirit and be a Spirit-filled witness is nothing else than being filled with the Spirit. To have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it means to be Spirit-filled. To have the fruit of the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. To be led by the Spirit. As Paul says in Galatians, to live in the Spirit. So it's a Spirit-empowered activity. The Holy Spirit's got to be at work in you. And He's got to be at work in the lost person. It's a Spirit-empowered activity in which disciples of Jesus Christ... Lost people aren't going to do this, okay? Disciples do this. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, by the way, this is not optional. Jesus calls you to evangelize. Spirit-empowered activity in which disciples of Jesus Christ give an intentional, complete, and verbal witness. You have to make up your mind in any conversation, I'm going to share the gospel with this person. And when you do that, you're going to, they're going to say little words that are going to help you turn the conversation to the gospel. It's got to be complete. Nobody's ever saved by a half gospel. If you say, if somebody sneezes, you say, God bless you, don't think you shared the gospel but just by saying God bless you. You've got to talk about Jesus, Okay. And it's verbal. We've already talked about that. What do you have to do? Basically this. You've got to tell them how they're sinners. How Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Paul says he was buried. And on the third day, he was raised again for their sins according to the scriptures. You've got to share that. And then you call people to respond. And how do they respond? Is it just because they say, I want it? It's not just wanting it. The Bible says you must repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus alone. And with your mouth, confess him as Lord. Call on the name. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what evangelism is. Now, some of you say, well, that was awful long-winded. I'll try not to be as long-winded after lunch. And by the way, I can't be because if we're going to eat some of that beef vegetable soup, I can only feel so much in my stomach and preach, okay? So I'm not going to be long-winded. But I want really today to be a lot. Some of you came, you tied your tie, you put your dress on, whatever it is, put your makeup on, you got in the car and you came and you said, it's another day at church. I want God to do something today, not because I'm here. I want God's Spirit to touch you in such a way where today is a different day for you. That now you'll have the eyes of Jesus looking at the lost people, seeing that they need Him. And without Him, the Bible says they are going to go to a place called hell. And we're not happy about that. 
Now, let me tell you something. If you're okay with people going to hell, you just go on home, okay? You know, this is not going to do anything for you. But if you're concerned about the lost and you have the schedule to do it, some of you, you've already had things planned, we understand that. But if you're really concerned about the lost and them coming to heaven, listen, I don't have all the answers. I'm not saying it's going to be, you know, snap and then you're going to be a soul winner. But I want to give you what I think will help you in the power of the Spirit be a soul winner for Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for not only saving us with the gospel, but Lord, you've tasked us with preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, talking about the gospel. I thank you for this pastor and this people. And Lord, I pray in the service this morning, I pray the teaching that we just heard and the teaching that we will hear, that Lord God, this church, you might do something that only the Spirit of God can do, that this church would say, people in Longview, Texas, and around the world are going to hell. And I'm tired of not caring about it. I want to do something about it. And Lord, we know we can pray, and that's good, but prayer's not just going to solve it. We've got to get out telling people about Jesus. And so, Lord, for any results that come today, it's not because of me. It's because of you. We give you the power. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. And it's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. amen. We'll uh, take a little break, and the service will start at 1030. Thank you so much. Wasn't this tremendous this morning? Amen. It's going to do nothing but get better. Praise the Lord. God bless you.